Welcome to the Community Church Podcast. This is the fifth week of our series, Harsh Truths. This message comes from Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. If you'd like to take notes, there's a link for that in the show notes. Thanks for joining us. And without further ado, here's Pastor Mike. You know, as we, as we come, I, we're going to talk about some issues today in, in uh, Matthew 19, and it's really Jesus talking about marriage and divorce. And one of the things that I want to acknowledge right off bat is that I'm, I'm going to touch on some things and not have time to really to develop it like I would love to. I, I know that, that we might kind of open a can of worms and kind of lead to some questions that we don't get to. And, um, and because I realize that and the limitation of time on a Sunday morning, we're going to actually have something two weeks from tonight. On uh, the Sunday the 18th, we're going to have kind of an open forum question and answer, not only about tonight, but even the last couple of weeks, there might be things that we said, well, what about this? And, you know, questions that you might have had. And so, so I'd encourage, especially if we kind of raise up some questions today uh, that you want to kind of go deeper on, please plan to come and join us on the 18th uh, from 7 to 8 right here. We'll also be, make that available live streaming uh, for those that want to join us in that way. And um, so, um, again, I'm excited about the week of prayer. So many of you have been a part of that. Uh, we've had well over 100 hours that people have, have, have committed to that. Uh, there's still time to sign up. You know, if, if it all fills up, uh, you're allowed to pray after Wednesday as well. The week of the prayer room will be open, and uh, we encourage people to keep praying. I hope that you take advantage of that. Now, we are going to be looking at Matthew 19. So if you have a Bible, please open up to Matthew 19. Um, let me begin by reading this passage that we're going to study this morning. And when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And the Pharisees came to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and, behold, and hold his fast his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And they are no longer two, but one flesh. And what God, therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of a divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. And so I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And the disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, is it better not to marry? May God bless the reading of his word. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege that we do have to come together this morning. Thank you for what you continue to teach me. And Father, I pray that as we look at this practical but challenging uh, issue and teaching, Father, that you, would, that you would speak, that I would, my opinions would get lost, and Father, somehow you would communicate your truth through me. And, uh, and Father, help us to have hearts that are open. And Father, for some of us, we may need to hear your truth, and for some of us, we may need to feel your grace. And Father, I pray that you would meet us, each one, where we're at this morning. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to start this message on a, a serious and uh, sensitive note. You know, we've just read these verses, and you could tell that Jesus is teaching here about issues of marriage and divorce and remarriage. And, and, and I realize it's a difficult subject, and for some, it's a very sensitive subject. And as I thought and prayed about how to handle this, you know, one of the things that I realized is that, you know, God reminded me of, of John 1, 14, a, a great verse 
where John introduces Jesus and his ministry, referring to him the word, and he says this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory of the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And I love that description of Jesus, full of grace and truth. You know, a lot of times as churches, we can stress the truth of God's word and at the expense of grace, or, or sometimes we can stress the grace at the expense of truth. And Jesus was full of both. His ministry was full of complete and perfect truth without compromise. And at the same time, it was full of complete and perfect grace. And those things mished or mashed uh, completely without compromising either trait. And so when we look at this issue and I think of, of how do we handle this, I think that we need to look towards Christ and see the God's grace and truth regarding the Bible's teaching on this issue of marriage and divorce. You see, I, I know that I've been at some churches and, and they'll talk about this issue of, of marriage and divorce and, and they'll stress truth. And there's some truth there that we need to see. You know, the Bible, Malachi, God says, I hate divorce. Or we see Jesus speak some very tough words here in, in Matthew 19. And those things are true and it all needs to be said. But in the process of proclaiming that truth and protecting marriages, there's sometimes the risk of heaping guilt upon people that have been through a divorce or that are struggling in the midst of their marriage. But on the other hand, we can, we can also err on the side of stressing grace to the point that we don't speak truth. And, and I've been to some churches where they'll do that and we wanna be so gracious that we don't wanna offend somebody that maybe has been through a divorce and we don't wanna, um, you know, we don't wanna drive them away and, or put guilt on them. And so then we are tempted to soften that or even avoid what Jesus is saying. And, and I understand that pastorally. I understand, you know, the sensitivity of wanting to be careful with those who are very fragile on this issue. But sometimes we can be so driven by this desire to protect those that, uh, that, have, that are sensitive on this issue that we can sacrifice truth. And therefore, as a result, we don't say what God clearly says. And the result is sometimes even in the church, people could say, well, you know, I can find somebody better. And we take a very view, low view. And, and what you see is in many churches, actually nationally, uh, divorce is almost as prevalent within the church as it is outside of the church. And we need some truth here as well. And so when we come to Matthew 19, you know, I've been praying that God will lead me and help me to speak both his grace and his truth. It's an important issue. It's an important issue now was at that time because like our time now, Jesus, his time, it was con uh, the culture was defined by a lot of, uh, of cultural and biblical confusion about this whole idea of divorce and marriage. You see, actually in Jesus' time, divorce was actually very common. It actually, the teaching was such that it became very easy for someone to divorce their spouse. And because it was easy, many people took the easy route and it was very common. And, and there was a lot of disagreement. It got about, well, what does the Bible say about that? And, and religious scholars disagreed. And that's what we see even here when the Pharisees, these religious leaders come to Jesus and they ask in verse three, uh, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And what they're doing is that they're testing him. They're in a sense asking him about a really controversial question. And, um, and it really came from disagreement about one verse particularly. There's this verse in Deuteronomy chapter four where Moses talked about divorce. And uh, Deuteronomy 4, 24, one, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and if she then find, if she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and then talks about how you do that. Now, here's the key question. 
when it says that he finds some indecency in her, what does that talk about? What does that mean? What is the cause of divorce? And there were two main schools. The first was the, what we'll call it the conservative school. And, and that was a school that said, okay, well, the context is such that the indecency is, is only talking about sexual indecency. So if someone is caught in some kind of sexual indecency, um, you know, like adultery, well, that's the only cause where there could be a divorce. Now, that was held by some, but the far more common view was a more progressive school of thought. Uh, the ra these rabbis taught that the indecency meant basically anything that you didn't like about her. And you could take this to mean anything you wanted to mean. And so there were progressive, thinkings, progressive thinkers even back then that were kind of playing around with the Bible even back then. And uh, because of that, you know, people said, okay, well, you have, you know, people have freedom. It was far more popular because people liked it. And so there were religious leaders, for example, that taught, you know, if a wife spoiled the dinner, that was indecency. If she spoke neg negatively about, the, you know, his husband's uh, parents, that was indecency. So you could do it for any reason. And when I think of that, that's not that different than our day, you know, because our culture in our day, it's no fault divorce. You don't need a reason, any reason that you choose, if you just want to get out of it. And, and, uh, and, and likewise, you know, sometimes in churches, we can say, well, we, you know, that's, you know, that's accepted on our day. We don't want to speak against it. And the result is because of the culture and even the biblical confusion, divorce in our culture isn't always even seen something bad. There's actually now a trend of divorce celebrations. You can go to the Hallmark store and, and buy divorce cards celebrating a divorce, or, or you could even buy divorce cakes, you know, where you celebrate, hey, let's have a party, it's a divorce. And, and here's the context that we have now, which is not that dissimilar to the context then. And so Jesus is teaching here, and, and it's interesting that his teaching is right after, for those who were less, with us last week, is all about forgiveness. Do you think there's a reason that Jesus goes from forgiveness to marriage and divorce? Why? Because forgiveness is essential in marriage. I mean, that's the hardest place to do it. And if we don't, what happens? We can end up in the direction of divorce. So we go back to Matthew 19, and the, and the religious leaders ask, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Basically, the liberal view. You know, that's what most people believe. Is it for any reason can you do it? And Jesus responds in verse four and five. He answered them, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And what he does is he says, well, let's not start by quoting their latest religious opinion or the latest teacher. Let's not try to look at this and say, you know, what's the opinion of their culture or the, you know, the, uh, the, the thing that's on, um, you, know, the, you know, the social media or whatever. Let's, let's look at the opinion of the one who created this from the very beginning whose wisdom is timeless. And so what he does is he actually quotes Genesis. He goes back to Genesis 2 in creation. And he said, okay, from the very beginning, God created. And he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And right off the bat, what we need to see is that Jesus is actually making a huge point. See, again, the, the, the people are asking him about the modern views about marriage and divorce, about the modern controversy. And Jesus said, no, no, if you want to understand that, let's first of all understand the nature of what marriage is. And to understand marriage, you're not going to find that by the latest opinions and the latest psychologists or even the latest religious leaders. What you're going to do is you need to look back at the beginning, at creation. Because if we go back all the way to Genesis chapter 2, what we see is that God created marriage. 
He designed it and he put the structures, he, he defined what it is. Marriage is not an institution of the state. It's, it's something that is designed by God. And by many people today, they look at that and they say, well, our view of marriage is evolving. And no, it doesn't evolve. It doesn't get better. Any change is actually a deterioration. We need to understand God's original design and align ourselves with that. Now, there, this isn't the main point of the message, but a few things that I want to just point out here because I think God makes it so clear is, uh, and I think we need to see, is that Jesus says, in the beginning, God created humans, male and female. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? God made two genders. There's only two genders. That's God's design. That isn't changing. And not only that, but he continues, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And Jesus is very clear on this. Again, if you, if you don't like this, this is not me that you're disagreeing with. This is what Jesus is saying is really clear. God's design for marriage is one man, one woman in a lifetime commitment. And we live in a culture that's trying to redefine what marriage is. And even putting pressure on churches that we need to try to redefine what marriage is. And Jesus makes it very clear here. Marriage is something that was created and designed by God at the very beginning of creation. He put out the structure way back when, and God isn't changing. It's one man, one woman, and a lifelong commitment. And any attempt to try to redefine that foundation of what marriage is, is not an evolution into something that is better. It's actually taking away from the design. And no matter what our culture says, in God's eyes, anything other than what God has designed is not marriage, it cannot be marriage, never will be marriage. And if we're going to understand what marriage is correctly, we have to remember that God is the creator and designer of marriage. And thus marriage will only work as we align ourselves with that design. And what is it again? It's one woman, one man committed in a lifelong commitment of a covenant relationship. A covenant relationship. In fact, we see even here when Jesus quotes Genesis 2 and he says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast. Literally, it could be translated, and they make a covenant. Now, covenant is a word that we don't use very often. You know, it's kind of a more religious, outside of the church, when's the last time you even heard that word? We don't use that very often. And, and we've got to understand what a covenant is because it's at the heart of what marriage is. When you get married, a key part of that is covenant vows that you make, vows and promises. It's, in fact, it's the vows that, in a sense, unite you. Without the vows, you're not married. Marriage isn't just strong feelings or affection. It isn't a desire to spend time with a person. It's not, you know, intense longing. In fact, I, I can illustrate that. Um, who, who loves you the most, all right? Let me put it this way. Who is more excited to see you at the end of the day than anyone else? Our dog, yeah, all right? Isn't that true? You know, when it comes to affection or loving feelings or excitement when you come home, no one beats your dog. That doesn't make you married to your dog, all right? It's not the feelings that, you know, marriage is far more. Is there feelings in marriage? Yes, that's part of it. But even think about those that are married. Think about your wedding vows. You see, your wedding vows weren't about how you felt at that moment. It wasn't, I feel this. I feel. No, your wedding vows actually weren't about your feelings at all. It was a promise to act. You promised to do things in the future, to be faithful, to be loving, to be kind and tender and compassionate, to be patient from that point into the future. And, and here's the amazing thing is when you entered into those vows 
and then God joined you there, God actually then does a miracle. He now takes this one man and this one woman and he unites you together into one flesh, one family. That's what Jesus says here when he's quoting Genesis 2. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast his wife and the two will become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one flesh. It's a miracle. Two people become one flesh, one emotionally and mentally and physically. You're no longer two. You know, that's why a wife takes a husband's last name. It's one family. It's all symbolizing that. These are ideas that we see even illustrated in a marriage ceremony. So some people will have a unity candle. You know, you come in and you have these two candles that are lit and then you take these two and you light one in the center and then you blow out the two because we're no longer two. And we always have to tell people when you blow out the two, turn away from the one and blow it out because if you don't, you know, you're going to blow out the one that you just lit. That's bad. You know, it's kind of bad mojo on that one. And, uh, you know, but the idea is, is that there's two that are one or, or even maybe more you know, illustrative of that is the sand ceremony. You know, you have two, you have this, you know, this pink sand and this blue sand and they're mixed together and, and, and suddenly you have one thing together and it's all mixed, it's indivisible now. There's something that is there. It's not, it's not me or you, it's us. There's one. Now, when you think about this picture of what God calls about and illustrated these things, they all kind of illustrate this idea that a covenant relationship, there's something permanent about it. There's something binding about the nature of a covenant. That's why Jesus says, you're no longer two, but one flesh. That you become one so that every part of your soul becomes intertwined. Your future happiness and your success, your bank account, your emotional lives become one. And, and, and then in the physical act of sex, then your bodies become one. Now, if you understand this, it has massive implications for understanding not only marriage, but divorce. And we're gonna see Jesus explain that. But even, we have a lot of issues, you know, questions now today culturally about how we view sex. It has multiple implications about how we view sex. You see, if God designed marriage as a total fusion of the souls, then separating the physical oneness from the spiritual and relational commitment oneness is tearing things apart at a foundational level. See, giving yourself to somebody physically, completely, is supposed to be a culmination of a man and woman committing to give themselves completely and permanently in every area of life. Think about it this way, all right? It's become kind of real popular in the last decade or so that we've got lots of zombie shows and movies. And uh, now what makes a zombie creepy? Well, they want to eat you, that's part of it. But, but, but it, what makes a zombie a zombie is it's a body without a soul. It's a working body without a working soul. Now, I want you to think about what, how we view sex. Basically, what we're doing culturally is we're saying we can have the body without the soul. We can, have, we can do this thing physically with our body and be one unity in body, but not be united in the soul, not be united in commitment and all these other areas. That's a dysfunctional view of what God has designed. It's a dysfunction, it's a low view of sex and sexuality. God designed from the beginning that it should be experiences in a relationship as part of a much bigger whole. Now, a lot of people will look at, well, the, you know, Christians, well, you're just negative on sex, you know, don't talk about it, you're against it. No, it's actually the opposite. We recognize sex as something that God has created and it's designed and it's beautiful and it's got tremendous power to, to build, but also to harm. But in God's design, it's, part of, it's supposed to be part of this complete fusion. And what our culture is doing is it's saying, no, we'll settle for the zombie version. It's a lowered view. And what the Bible says to us as believers, don't settle for less. You know, don't buy the lie of the culture. Lift this thing up. It's worth waiting for. It's worth doing it God's way. 
because that's God's design. But because there's a permanence, there's a binding nature of covenant. And, and, and now some people would say, okay, well, we've got that, but it's kind of like a contract because, because we don't use covenant, but we use contract. And it's actually not like a contract. It's a, it's a word that is very, very different. And think of it this way. When we think of a contract, we're basically saying two parties are saying, I agree to do this. I agree to provide this. And, and part of that is that if one of us breaks, the, breaks our agreement, the contract is null and void. And not only that, but the contract is usually listing what I expect of the other person. So I'm going to do this contract and I'm going to say, I expect you to do this, this, and this. And you're going to tell me you expect me to do this and this and this. And again, if we either of us break it, the contract's null and void, right? Or you could sue or whatever. Now, here's what you need to realize. In the marriage covenant, again, have you married and remember your wedding vows? Do you remember the part that listed all the things that your spouse is supposed to do for you? Neither do I, you know, and it wasn't in there. It, there there's nothing about, okay, you're going to do this and this and this. No, it's all about my commitment. I choose, I commit to love you in this way, to love, honor, and cherish. And, and there was also no out clause. There's no, if you do this, then there's an out. No, it's, I commit to do this unconditionally until God separates us by death. I'm the only out, out clause is basically death. That's it. And, um, and so it's a listing, not what I expect of you, what I commit to do, and it's, and it's completely unconditional based on the other person, as long as we both shall live. Now, when you think of this, for those that are married, you made these unconditional commitments to love, honor, and cherish, not as long as the other person did this, but unconditionally. And if you're there, I want you to think about that. And the question is ultimately, are you going to live up to those vows? Are you going to keep those vows? So it's, a, it's not a, a contract. It's a covenant, something different. But it goes against our culture because our culture sees a marriage relationship primarily in consumer terms. And a covenant's not consumerism at all. Think about it this way. I hear people all the time. They talk about, well, I'm thinking about marriage I'm, and I'm out. Why? Well, because they didn't meet my needs. And so basically, I'm in this relationship and... And a consumer relationship is basically, okay, we're in this together and I'm going to do this for you. You're going to do this for me. We meet each other's needs. We're good, right? And, uh, and they're basically saying, I'm out because you're not meeting my needs. You know, you're not doing that part. And um, now, are consumer relationships good? Yeah, at certain places. I have a consumer relationship with a grocery store. Whatever grocery store I go to, it's close to my home, pretty good prices. I mean, I'm kind of on this gluten-free diet now. They've got stuff that I can choose there. Okay, I have a relationship. But you know what? If I find another store that's more convenient, better prices, better selection, I'm going to switch and sh start shopping there. And I don't need, you know, this whole, I don't need to break up with them. I don't need to go through a legal thing. I mean, it's just like, okay, it's a consumer thing. I'm going to change. Now, think about marriage. It's not a consumer relationship. It's a lifelong commitment and dissolving it for not working isn't an option. It's this thing that you say, I choose to do this regardless of how I feel, regardless of how you're meeting my needs. Now, again, now re remember, all this started with Jesus speaking about divorce. He was asked the question, is it right to divorce? And, and so then what does he do? He says, well, you've got to understand the nature of marriage. And so he said, okay, God created them from the, you know, in the beginning, male and female, therefore a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast his wife, the two shall become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one flesh. And here he brings it back. Now that you understand the nature of what marriage is, 
what God has joined together, let no man separate. And he's basically saying, here's what happens. The miracles that God makes two, he joins into one. And because by nature, it's now one. When you think about divorce, it's taking the things that God has made one and it's now tearing it back into two. If marriage is a really a miracle of God where he takes two souls into one, then divorce shouldn't be a logical option at all. Again, let's go back to these images that we think about in a marriage so many. Many of us had these, you know, that we had the unity candle. And well, no, the two candles are blown out. There's only that one. You know, if you blow out the one, the two don't exist anymore. Or I think even more so, you think of the sand ceremony. I mean, could you imagine saying, hey, we're going to get divorced and what we're going to do is we're going to take our sand back. Could you imagine trying to separate this out back into pink and blue? That's not going to work very well. I mean, it's going to be a lot of work and you're going to have a lot of blue mixed in with the pink. There's no way to, you know, to differentiate every grain of sand. There's going to be carryover. And the same thing is true within marriage. The fact is, is that you're involved in life. You can't separate this. You can try, but it's going to be a mess. And, and, and what the Bible teaches is that divorce is never a good thing. Now, we're going to see that the Bible teaches that there are times that it's permitted, but only when there's an ongoing pattern of sin that is more damaging than the damage that the divorce would do. But it's never good. So let's go back to what Jesus said here in Matthew 19. He said, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Now, again, there were a lot of people in the, in the, in the, uh, in the, in the crowd where Jesus was speaking who were likely divorced. Divorce was very common. They don't like what Jesus is saying. This is, this is confrontational. And so then they come back to him and they kind of push back and they say, next verse, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And referring back to that passage we saw in Deuteronomy 24 about some indecency. Well, I, I love Jesus' answer. I mean, the weight of Jesus' answer is basically, I don't think you guys are reading the same Bible I am. You know, you know cause, because Moses never gave a command for anyone to divorce. Look what he says in verse eight. He said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Did Moses allow divorce? Yes. Did he ever command it? No. And why did he allow it? Why? Because he said, because of the hardness of your heart, because some people are so hardened in sin and they choose a lifestyle of unrepentant sin that in those few cases where that becomes so harmful, he doesn't command divorce, but he allows the offended party to choose divorce. But this was never God's design. This was never what God wanted from the beginning. And even in that, even in the worst of cases, that God is saying you can choose this, but even in something like sexual immorality, you can still choose to forgive. And the beautiful thing is there are stories that are here in this room of people that have have had tremendous trauma in their marriage and in tremendous brokenness, sexual morality and abuse and a bunch of other things that, that you have testimonies of saying, okay, I'm willing to let God bring healing and God has brought things back together because God can do that. Because while divorce was never God's design, it's never a good thing. God always leaves open the room for grace. But at the other point, you could say, at times it still is allowed. Not because it's good, but because there's an on pattern, ongoing pattern of sin where divorce is actually less damaging than what is being done by the sin in the marriage. And so what does he say about when divorce is an option? Look in verse eight and nine. Because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. 
And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual morality and marries another commits adultery. And what Jesus is te teaching here is actually not only in Deuteronomy, it's in the rest of the Bible. He's saying that God will at times allow, doesn't command it, but he allows it. And there are a few exceptions. The clear one here is sexual morality, any sexual activity outside of the real marriage relationship. Why? Because adultery breaks the marriage vow. It's at such a level that it actually breaks the covenant. And, and here's, I think, the logic of it. All right. In the Old Testament law, for those that know the Old Testament, if you had in the Jewish law, if someone was commit, caught committing adultery, what was the penalty? Stoning was death. Right now, if the person gets stoned, what happens to the marriage? It's dissolved. The, the person's dead. It's done, right? Now, by God's grace, God said, okay, this is the law. This is what the person deserves. But in most cases, that person wasn't stoned. Okay, and so even now today, we don't have that. We don't have, we're going to be died because of adultery. Okay, so by God's grace, God doesn't you know, de demand that consequence. But for those who, when there's a, basically a, by the Old Testament law, a, something that was done that was kind of a, uh, an offense of that level, God's saying, okay, the person that is offended, you can choose to treat them as if they're dead. The marriage vow is broken in that way. It's actually deserving of their death. So you can choose to treat them as if they're dead. And is, is that the only exception? Well, actually, if we look like in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about the example of, of a, a desertion, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And he said, okay, if you have someone who deserts, you know, a believer is no longer bound. Somebody walks away from that. You try to keep them together. You're not bound. There's a, there's a reason there. Why? Because it kills the covenant. There's, so there's a few of these exceptions. And we could talk about others about, you know, where does it go into inf ongoing infidelity or abuse or some blatant sin? Um, and, and why is it saying that? Well, because it's saying, okay, first of all, if you don't do something, it's actually an act of grace and mercy to say, okay, there's a consequence of breaking this relationship. Why? Because if you don't do that, the person's can continue down the path of sin. And sometimes actually threatening or even going to the point of divorce is, uh, divorce is to say, okay, God's trying to get your attention. It's not out of anger and hatred. It's actually out of, of church discipline. I mean, a couple, last week or a couple weeks ago, we looked at Matthew 18 and confrontation and church discipline. It all fits together. These all ideas all go together. But secondly, it provides a protection for the offended party. And, and even in this, it was at that time only men were allowed to divorce their wives. But when you look at Jesus' teaching, it's saying, no, this applies to both parties, equally to men and women. And the idea is as terrible as divorce is, at times, the ongoing pattern of sin is more damaging, more destructive to the person in the marriage, the offended party. And he says, okay, to protect you, I'm going to allow you to have divorce. Only in those extreme cases. Now, that doesn't mean, well, I'm tired of it. I don't, you know, give up. I, no, that's not there. It's, it's, let's put it this way. I remember the picture is the two are made one. If that's the case, then divorce should seen as being as radical as it amputating an arm or a leg. Now, for a doctor, is there ever a cause of amputation? Yeah. I mean, if there's cancer, there's an infection that could kill the individual. But amputation is really radical. You don't come in and say, I've got a sprained ankle. Amputate it, cut it off. You know, it's like, you know, I mean, if, if you get a doctor like that, you see, you know, that, man, what's wrong with that person? But that's what's happening in our culture. Man, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm, they're not meeting my needs. Amputate it. No, no, no. This is radical stuff, and only in the extreme cases. And not only that, but what does it say? How does that happen? Let's look at Matthew 19, 6. 
What God has joined together, let no man separate. And what Jesus is saying here is a really simple point that it's easy to miss. What God has joined together, there's a parallelism. What God did, only God can undo. What God did, man can't undo. What God has joined, only God can separate. You know, I find it interesting that so often I'll talk to even Christians and they'll go to church to get married. And then when they have problems, they go to the courthouse to get divorced. It's like, okay, God's going to join us together. Well, now the state's going to divide us. No, God did a miracle of joining you together and only God can undo that miracle. And even if somebody goes and gets a legal divorce, well, I'm going to the state. What the Bible's saying is saying, the state may say you're divorced, but God doesn't recognize that. That's what Jesus says when he says, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Basically, you can just walk away from this and God says, no, I don't recognize that divorce. You're still bound. You're still accountable to this. Just because you go to the courthouse and get a divorce from, you know, in modern values, no fault divorce. The fact is God doesn't recognize that. You're still bound. That's, that actually goes out back to the idea that Jesus said twice in the last couple chapters, 16 and, and 18. We talked about, I truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. The spiritual leadership of the church, when we bind something, God says, okay, okay, those vows are there. I now pronounce you husband and wife. You are now bound in heaven. And only God can undo what he has done. Now, I'm touching on these things, and I know that there's a lot of questions. And some, some of you may have very specific questions about your circumstances or people in your family or, or things that you've been taught in the past. And because I know that, and I, and I wish we could spend more time with that, we are, that's why we're doing this special Sunday night in two weeks. And, um, and even if you're thinking, I have this question now, I'm, af I'm afraid I'm gonna forget it, you can text it into that number even now, and, and we'll make sure and get that, and that'll be one of the first questions we deal with on that Sunday night. And, but I hope that you will come back to that because, I, again, this is a real important issue that I don't want to kind of just skip over some really important things that some of you may be struggling with on this. But it's interesting. Jesus is very direct. So much so, I love the disciples in verse 10. They said to him, if such is the case with a man and a wife, is it better not to marry? Basically, you know, you have these men that are commitment phobic and they're saying, you know, if we can't get out of this, should we ever get in? Is it better never to get in? And it is worthwhile to get in. Because Jesus, again, is teaching here. And I want you to remember, they asked about divorce and what did he do? Let me tell you about marriage. See, he is not about just being anti-divorce. He's pro-marriage. And then the answer here isn't, well, it's wrong to divorce. The actually, the answer is, remember what your marriage is and pursue that. And someone will say, should I stay in marriage because it's miserable? And no, you should stay in marriage and actually try to commit, recommit yourself to building it and making it good. And that's possible. That's possible to do, rebuild it. And, and, and there might be times that you go through times that are challenging and difficult and even kind of miserable and, and you feel like your spouse isn't doing anything back and, 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 but commit not out of the sense of whether meeting my need, do it out of obedience to God. Keep your vows, which was I'm going to vow to love, honor, and cherish unconditionally until God shall separate you by death. And that God will bless you in that. And you say, well, I'm not in love anymore. Well, again, you're... You never made a promise to love. And then so commit. And I want to encourage you on this. How do you fall back in love? Well, what did you do to fall in love? Think back when you're dating. Think when you're engaged. Think about all the effort that you made. Think about the dating that you did. Boy, if you spent half that effort now pursuing your spouse now, you might start to feel some, some of those things again. Work on it. Pursue it. 
But in this, I want you to realize that God's challenge in this is not just don't leave your marriage. It's actually keep your vows. Keep your vows, live up to the vows. Love your spouse the way that you promised that you would. And you might be thinking, but I can't. How do I forgive? I don't have that ability. I'm worn out. I'm, I'm discouraged. And okay, let me encourage you to remember one more thing. Remember in the beginning, we talked about this idea that this is a covenant between you and your spouse and God. And it's not only that God was there to actually join you together and to make you one, it's actually God was there in the covenant. He enters into the covenant. He makes promises with you. And one of the promises that he makes is that I'm gonna help you. His part of the gospel or, or, or the marriage covenant vow is, is an expression of the gospel. What is the gospel? We admit that we're sinners. God, I'm a sinner. I, I need your forgiveness. I need you to give me righteousness. I ask you for grace in Jesus Christ. How do we apply that towards marriage? It's that we come and we say, God, I can't do it. God, I'm out of strength. I can't forgive. I can't love. I'm discouraged. I, God, forgive me and give me what I do not have. Give me patience I do not have. Give me love I do not have. Give me the ability to, to persevere. And if we rely upon his grace and if we stay faithful to the vows, loving our, our spouse unconditionally, God will bless us in that relationship. God will give us what we need. Now, I don't want to downplay the challenge that some of you might be facing. I don't want to downplay, you know, but my spouse does this. And yeah, I know there are real problems. And in some cases, one of the things I'd encourage you to do is to even think about counseling and that's a better way to do it. And, but I also want to challenge you on this. When I think about marriage, God has never told me anything about how to make my wife a better wife. All he tells me is how to be a better husband. And so when I look at this, here's the challenge that I know that God gives me and I think that God gives to each one of us that are married. Don't tell me about the failings or weaknesses of your spouse. The question is, what are you doing to contribute? And, and you might say, but they're 90% of the problem. Okay, what's your 10%? That's all, that's all you can fix. That's all you can deal with. God, help me to be a better husband. Help me to be a better wife. God, give me the strength that I do not have. And then God, I'm gonna pray that you do a work in the, the other person's life. And, and I wanna tell you that a lot of times when they see you submitting to God's will, God may be used that to actually get them to submit. But are you willing to let God work in your life? And then pray that God would change them because only God can do only God can do that. It's by God's grace. And that is it for this week's message. If you have a question about the message, Community Church, or Jesus Christ, send us a text to 330-400-3242. You can learn more about our events and community groups online at ccpl.life connect. There, you can also send in a prayer request. We would love to pray for you. Have a blessed Lord's Day, and we'll see you next week.